We're going to begin with a prayer. Uh, I'm, by the way, I'm Gordon Dasher. This is Zach, my son. We're from uh, West Monroe, Louisiana, and Monroe. Uh, so, uh, White Street Road Church, and we're going to be talking about boldness through prayer in Acts chapter 4 today. So, um, let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we do bow before your throne, and we honor you for being the God who spoke everything into existence, God. We know that all of our, every part of our being is wrapped up in that, God. There's no way to escape you. We cannot ignore you, God. We cannot allow ourselves to ever be drawn into the mindset of the world today that, that either there is no God or he's not important or he's just uh, sort of benign, God. We know that you're a mighty and powerful and awesome God, and we honor you. We bow down before you. And as a speaker, uh, Mackie just got through talking about God. We just want to, because of who you are, we want to devote our lives to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're, we're kind of, we're kind of just uh, like this. We didn't really know the format. So we really looked at Acts chapter 4, but, uh, but we, uh, and then we're going to segue off of some of the stuff that's already been said. So you go ahead and start. Yeah, I'll begin. Um, we're involved in the campus ministry in Louisiana, West Monroe. Uh, actually Monroe, um, and we did a, sort of a church plant, but we actually went into an existing church that was uh, about to close their doors, and they asked us to come over and bring a team and uh, help expand the, the university campus ministry. So we went over there about three years ago. It's been a it's been a, uh, a learning experience. It's been very fulfilling in a lot of ways. Um, the Lord has definitely sanctified us um, in the way we approach ministry, the way we approach life. Um, and a big portion of what we do is about boldness. If we're going to be evangelistic, then we certainly need to be bold in our evangelism. Um, I want to kind of give you a little history of where, where I came from and, and my journey with boldness. And then hopefully you'll see, uh, not a segue into to what we want to talk about, then I'll turn it over to Dad for a few minutes. But um, So when I, when I was in college is when I really gave my life to Christ and became a Christian. Um, and um, I was about 20 years old. I'd kind of gone off the beaten path for a few years and sowed my wild oats. Um, that was something I thought you had to do, right? You had to go out there and get a testimony. So I went out there and got a testimony, which is not a good idea, by the way. You don't, everybody has a testimony. If you can spare yourself from sin, uh, you'll be better off in the long haul, right? Um, but when I was about 20 years old, I was sitting with uh, my college minister at the time, and I said, how do you share the gospel with somebody? And so he said, well, the first question I asked him is, when did you die? And so then he goes through this whole process about being born again, and, and as he's telling me this, I'm thinking, you know, I've never done that. I've never died to myself and been, and been born again. And uh, so that night I was baptized uh, into Jesus Christ, and I started, uh, I guess, my ministry, and, uh, and me and all of my friends, um, all got baptized about the same time. And so then we went, on a, we went on a journey for about 30 days. We were like, okay, we're fixing to convert the entire world. And we started, I mean, we were, we were going into bars and pulling people out and sharing Jesus with them. You know, I'm bold. We were very, very bold. Um, that went on for a few years, and then the fire kind of died out. And then, uh, you know, I, went to, I got out of college, got my first job. And that's really when my fire died down. Because most of the folks, my first job, uh, out of, my second job right out of college was uh, with uh, Pfizer or, or Wyeth at the time. And it's a, a pharmaceutical company. I was in pharmaceutical sales. I was calling on physicians who were well accomplished in their, in their professions. And a lot of them were not believers. And some of them were. A lot of them, were, a lot of them weren't believers. And so you're looking at these people and you're thinking, okay, you've got a ton of money. You're very well educated. You're extremely intelligent. Um, you're well respected in the community and in my mind I really thought is there anything I have to offer them could I really convert someone like that could I really be bold in that setting and what I learned through the years after and, I, and I'll be honest with you I, I shut my mouth for a long time I really did I shut my mouth and I wasn't evangelistic in that setting now if I found someone that was really broken as I deemed broken then I was very bold because I knew they needed it, right? But if you see someone who seems like they're not broken, it's very difficult to be bold. Um, and a lot of these guys would kind of make fun of Christianity. And so what I learned was over the years is that everybody 
is in need of the gospel. Everybody. I don't care how successful you are or how uh, well accomplished you are. Everyone is in need of the gospel. And I didn't see this at first. You know, I didn't see that, that, that this was, I didn't see that, I thought it was about the process more than it was about the man Jesus Christ. And so um, I began to share my faith boldly, but one of the, uh, one of the, the crowning moments, I think, of, of just kind of seeing God use me uh, was right before I got out of the industry, I developed a relationship with a physician um, who, who we were eating lunch one day, and he said, he said, Zach, he said, you're the only friend that I have. This blew me away. I didn't know the guy that well. I was like, I'm the only friend you got. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. He said, and I will tell you something, Zach. He said, I've had two, uh, he said, there's two things in my life that I've had a lot of. This was a married man. He said, women and money. And he looked at me and he starts to just cry. This is one of the most well-respected physicians in our area. He's crying. And he said, I'm as miserable as a man can be. And it hit me in that moment about four or five years ago. It hit me that everybody needs the redemptive work of the gospel. Everybody. That inner longing that we all have in us that only God can fulfill, everybody has that. And so I think boldness begins with understanding uh, the message. That Yeah, why don't we uh, just kind of kick around a couple of questions here. Uh, first of all, just raise your hand if you've got a good definition for boldness. By the way, how many Florida State fans do we have in here? Okay. This applies to you too. The gospel is for you. Jesus died for you as well. Okay? <laughs> just want to make sure you... Uh, got, a, got a good definition for boldness? Yeah. I think it would be coming out of your comfort zone. Okay. Coming out of your comfort zone. All right. Assertive. Assertive. Don't be shy. Be bold. Be bold. Yes, sir. Doing what needs to be done in spite of. Okay. Doing what needs to be done in spite of. Okay, like coffee. Yeah. There you Cajun go. Cajun coffee. I'm not a Cajun, by the way. We're both Florida people. Uh, I grew up in Gainesville, and yes, I chomp. So do you, don't you? I do. It's awesome. We're persecuted back home. Oh, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Only thing, one thing worse than an FSU fan is an LSU fan when they beat you two years in a row. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have to live with you guys, so. All right, so any other definitions of boldness? Uh, how, how, how many of you struggle with boldness? Okay. A lot of you do struggle with boldness. Well, uh, to, you can answer this question, next question in one of two ways. Why do you think that you struggle with boldness? Or the, the flip side of that question might be, how do you think you could get boldness? How do you think you could get past all this angst and fear of sharing Jesus with people. Why do you struggle with it? Or how can you get past it? You can answer it in one of two ways. Yeah. Understanding why you're what? Why? Why are you supposed to share? Okay. Yeah. Also knowing that once you have the knowledge that God has also got your back. And so if you're going to be bold, God is going to help you be bold in sharing your Okay. Yeah, I feel like uh, insecurity comes back a lot. And I feel like uh, everybody gets past that just get over yourself. And uh, no one needs to be Okay. Get over yourself. Yeah. You can't take that. And don't want to hurt people's feelings. And don't want to hurt a bridge. All right. Don't want to hurt people's. I'm, I need to remember to repeat this for the recorder. You don't want to hurt people's feelings or burn a bridge. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. I think you start small. I mean, because, you know, God is going to give you that one opportunity where he feels like you can handle it. So, for me, I mean, I still struggle with it, but it'll start small, like being at work or in the break room, and someone, someone says something, you're like, oh, it's my opportunity to speak up. And as time goes on, you'll build that confidence. So, it's like a confidence voter. Take advantage of small. 
Okay. So, yes, ma'am? Okay, so let's let's stop that because that's a good point at which to stop. Let's turn over to Acts chapter four, and uh, we uh, I noticed a lot of you guys have really cool Bibles, and some of you have them on your phones. But you know, I've I've always wanted to be a redneck so I've got this like duct tape clear tape on mine to hold it together it makes me look like a but actually I just found this Bible when I was getting coming out of my office so um, but does that make me look like I'm a really good Bible student I've got tape on my Bible (laughs) it makes me bold feeling so Acts chapter 4 the the topic is praying uh, boldness through prayer. And of course that comes from Acts chapter four. And I think it starts down in verse 23. And of course, and we'll go back and look at this other part of the passage in a minute. But in the first part of the chapter, Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin and these guys have the power of life and death, right? And yet they speak boldly, but I want you to notice verse 23, because when they get through dealing with the Sanhedrin, they go back to their people, to their friends And in verse 23, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, looking for a way to overcome shyness when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. So what was at the root of their prayer? They did pray for boldness here, but I want you to be looking for things that they acknowledged in their prayer that might be the real foundation for boldness. Like they're praying for boldness, but what did they pray for first? So let's read on here. They, um, um, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our, our, your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of our holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with uh, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So in their prayer. What did they acknowledge that might be the true foundation of prayer? Because look, uh, well, go ahead and answer that first. Because Mackey, uh, his notes, let me get back to his little list there he had at the end. The message of truth and love was the first one, cut to the heart, repentance and baptism, Holy Spirit, gifted, devotion and reproduction. Those are all, that was awesome. We're going back to point number one, the message of truth and love. So what did they acknowledge in their prayer that might feed their boldness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a huge point. She said, um, God's sovereignty. Um, this is a topic that we don't, that we don't discuss a lot. Um, there seems to be a paradox here. If you read this, right, that God's in control and he's working out his plan, right? But then they prayed for something as well as if they were participating in his plan. So I think that's a key point. God uses our decisions, even if they're evil, he uses them to accomplish his ultimate plan. And that's the God that we serve. He's sovereign. And he mentioned that um, earlier. Does anyone remember the statement that he used out of Acts chapter 2? That he made his major point of who, who builds the church? What did it say? Yeah, the Lord added to the church daily, right? And the Lord added to the church daily. So God's working out his redemptive plan in history. 
Um, he, it says here that he uses the Gentiles, he used Herod, he used Pontius Pilate to accomplish something that he had predestined to take place, which was the crucifixion of Jesus and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so I think that's cool as acknowledging God's sovereignty. What else? Yeah. You hear what he said? He said that uh, spoke by the Holy Spirit in verse uh, 25 here. Um, Who through your servant from the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Um, John Adams said this. He said, he said, duty is ours and results are God's. And I think, I think when we approach boldness and evangelism, when we understand that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through us, which goes right into what this young lady back here said, and God is sovereign, right? Where do the results lie on? If God's sovereign, who, who's responsible for the results? He is. he is. You mentioned earlier, what was your, what was your fear? That someone, could that someone could preach it better than you, right? But if we understand who's ultimately responsible for, for the results... That takes the burden off of me. I don't have to do it perfectly, right? Yeah, and I read. A, I was reading a book the other day. Uh, I think the name of it was Contagious Disciple Making, and uh, this guy said, "When you pray, pray that God will open your eyes and you can see the work that He's already doing around you, and then ask for permission to participate in the work that He's already doing." So when you recognize that, that the work, God's doing the work and he gives the increase and that's biblical. Where, where, where was it, guys? I read it to you on the way. Who was it I read it to? Some of you guys. First Corinthians chapter 3. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. When you realize that it's God who does that, then the pressure's off you. The power's in the message. There probably are people that could do it better than you. There are definitely people that could do it better than me. Somebody, I guess, is doing it better than anybody else. There's got to be one person on top, right? That one person. But I'm not it. Neither is he. Trust me. What else is uh, here that, that these people prayed for or acknowledged in their prayer? Got the sovereignty of God. Don't be shy now. Come on. I'll be, call, I'll be walking back to calling you out. Come on. What? He predestined the event that would happen. Yeah, because he said, uh, what verse is that in? 28. In verse 28, they did... What your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. How do you feel about that? That these events like this, like the gospel, wasn't an accident. How many of you ever found, did you ever think that when you were a kid, like it was an accident? Like, boy, if I'd have been there with my AK or my AR, you know, I could have stopped the whole thing because they all had swords. I never thought that. (laughs) No? You never thought, what if I'd have been there, I could have kept them from killing Jesus? Or you thought maybe I wouldn't do it. Yeah, or maybe, yeah, if I'd have been there, like, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you would have. You did. So this is all, like, laid out beforehand, before the foundation of the world, that Christ would die. And they acknowledge that in their prayer. And, And, dude, that plays right into the whole boldness thing. Like, if God's in charge of this, really? If he's sovereign, I'm going to struggle with boldness. What else do they pray? Any other things? Okay, God worked through them. Um, yeah, and we're going to go back up to, um, in fact, let's go to verse 1. Let's go back up to verse 1. Just jump in there. Because right. um, 
Here's what I want to do at this point, because I don't know how much time we've got, and I do want to cover this. Going back to Mackey's first point, the message of truth and, how do you say it? Truth and love. Truth and love. The message of truth and love. So let's go back and look at what these guys did. Because look, listen to me. These people that were praying are not praying because they were... What prompted them to pray was that Peter and John had just experienced verse 1 through 21. They came into the disciples' assembly and shared with them what had happened to them. And because... Because they heard what happened to Peter and John, they prayed for boldness. So guess what? Your boldness inspires other people to desire boldness. Who's the boldest preacher you know? Probably Phil. Yeah, Phil Robertson is the boldest one we know. I mean, you walk into his house, even if you tell him you're already a member of the Church of Christ, well, especially if you tell him you're a member of the Church of Christ, he's gonna figure you don't know the gospel. And he's going to tell you anyway. Sometimes he tries to convert me. He loves to baptize people. He loves to bring people to faith in Christ. And it inspires other people. When Zach became a Christian, when those guys of that generation became Christians, they all went down to Phil's house and desired to learn how to become more like him in in his boldness. Right, and, and, and I want to say that I think um, looking back on, on uh, my life in, the, in evangelism, there is a humanistic boldness that we, we try to, we, we want to be bold and we want to convert people to our movement or to our church or to, um, or to our, our method as opposed to converting people to Jesus Christ that's right. himself. Uh, that's a big deal. I think one of the things that has totally transformed my, my thinking in this is understanding, and you mentioned it, the role of the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit until I was about 20 years old. I thought the Holy Spirit was like the Bible, and that's it. You know, we, a lot of us raised in churches of Christ were taught that, that the Spirit only speaks. I never taught you that. He did. The Spirit only sp- uh, speaks to the written word, but the Bible is very clear that there is a direct link between understanding the role of the Holy Spirit and boldness. And that's why you see in, in this whole thing what's going on here. There's a healing going on, right? The apostles are healing people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, everything revolves around the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is applying truth. If I ask you this question, what is the primary role of the Holy Spirit? What would you say? If you go back and read John chapter 14 through John 16, when Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit, you know what he says? He says, look, he says, guys, he's talking to the apostles. He says, I got to get out of here. I have to leave. And they're all sad, upset about it. He said, look, it's for your benefit that I leave. Because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the spirit, capital S of truth will not come. But when he comes, he will guide you into, listen to this, all truth. Does the Holy Spirit, when you're in that setting in church and you feel like the presence of God, and you, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever had that feeling? Like when the singing's just like on fire and, and, you, and you're just weeping and you feel it right? And we, sometimes we say, what, the, the Spirit's moving in here? And we sing songs at our church inviting the Spirit to participate in the worship. And he certainly does that. But that's not his primary role. The primary role, according to Jesus, of the Holy Spirit is this. To speak truth into the believer. You cannot have a thought unless it begins with God Almighty. We talk about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. God speaks to man. And man has a decision to make. Either one, he can say, God, you're lying to me. And that's called sin, by the way. Or God, you're telling me the truth about reality. And that's called faith. These are our two options. Faith or sin. God, you're telling me the truth. Or God, you're lying. The humanistic way of preaching the gospel, and this will minimize your boldness, by the way, is to believe that we can teach people to be better. You got to be better. Guys, look at me. You're caused, guys, you're, I know you're tempted to go out there and party and do, don't do that. Be better. Just say no. Say no. Be better. Don't have sex till you get married. 
Don't get drunk. Don't smoke dope. All these do better things. We got to pray more. Read your Bible more. And if we approach sharing the gospel in this way, you're not going to really encompass the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. And you know why? Because if I tell you to do those things, if I say you need to read your Bible more, what's the thought that comes in your mind? Yeah? Or if I tell you to be better, you guys have to be better. You guys got to start reading your Bible and you got to quit sinning. What's the problem with that statement right there? Huh? You can't do it, can you? And you know that intellectually. You know that you're never going to be good enough. You know that. And so I used to sit in church and, and, and they would say, we're going to baptize you into Jesus and, and when you come out of that water, you're going to be a new creation. And, and now you're still going to sin, but all your future, past, present sins will all be forgiven. The point is, when you fall down, just get back up and do your what? Best. And that was kind of what we preached. And I'm thinking, but I fell down. That's not my best. That's why I fell, right? So it's like, am I really trying to be better? Because that's not possible. I can't be better. You cannot be better. If you think that you can be better, you know what, you know what the problem with that is? Is we're elevating ourselves up or we're bringing God down, is what Paul says. Or diminishing the sovereignty of God. Boldness can't come through that mechanism unless it's humanistic boldness, which means that it's fake or it's manipulative. I'm manipulating people or I'm trying to, to work the atmosphere. I'm trying to get them in on something else other than truth because the truth is I am not good enough. So, how do we encompass boldness with this revelation? Well, here it is right here. We have to have a transition in the way we think about the gospel and sin and faith. We have to get out of the mindset of thinking that I'm saying no to sin because that doesn't work, right? I'll give an example that I heard, I heard that men struggle with lust. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> right? A man struggles with lust, me being one of them. Attractive woman walks by. I look. I notice. No, no, nothing wrong yet. I can't. She walked by. I noticed a beautiful woman. Maybe she's dressed in an inappropriate way, but I notice. So the way I always thought was the Holy Spirit was saying, Zach, do not look at that because that is wrong. So you know what I do? I listen to the Spirit. I turn my head and say, that's wrong. But it's almost like saying, don't think about a red airplane. Well, why is it wrong? That's a little different than that. I don't know. <laughs> well, that was funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> you try in your willpower not to do it, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to listen to Him because it is wrong. He said it's wrong. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to sin. I want to be good enough. I want to be accepted by Him. No, don't look. And it's like the more I try that, the more appealing that this becomes. And you fill in your own sin, by the way, because it may be gossip. You may be like, man, I want to talk about this person because they did me wrong. And I want to make sure that so-and-so knows about it. I need to make sure they know what happened. And the Spirit tells you, that's wrong. And you're like, yeah, that's wrong. The more you try to say no, though, the more it builds up in you. And it becomes like this, this thing, right, that you can't defeat. Let me ask you this question, though. What if the Holy Spirit never told you that? What if He never told you it was wrong? What if instead he said this, and, and, and let me ask you when I say this, how would this change the way that you approach your spiritual walk with God? What if he never said, Zach, that's wrong? What if he said, Zach, that's not true? Hmm. That's different. Because the Spirit, Jesus says, when he comes, will guide you into all truth. What if he says, that's, that's not true? Now, I go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and I've got this, this scene with Adam and Eve here. And what was the original sin that was cast down there? What did Satan say? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Or what did God really say? That tree. He said, you can eat from what? Every tree. Any tree in the garden except for one. 
Satan comes in, and this is how he works. He takes a little bit of truth into all of Satan's lies encompass some element of truth. They're perversions of something good. Right? Satan says, did God say you can't have anything? And then then, then they start thinking curiously. They're like, yeah, why did he say that? No, he said we we could just not eat of that one. Because if we eat of that tree, we'll die. Now, what is that? That's truth. God revealing, speaking truth to man. Don't eat this one tree because if you eat of it, you'll die. But look, the rest of it is for your pleasure. I mean, this thing is made for you. All of it, all the animals, everything is made for you. But just don't do this one thing because if you do, it'll kill you. But they didn't believe God. They thought God was lying to them. They thought God was holding out. They thought God didn't have their best interest at heart. God was somehow withholding pleasure from them, right? So they eat of it. They realize they're naked. They go, they hide from God, and then sin, and then the world falls apart. And here we are dealing with it some thousands of years later. So the Spirit never says to man that's wrong. What the Spirit says is that's not true. Zach, that won't fulfill you. Now, see, now I can have real victory over sin, and here's why. Because I'm not trying not to do something. I'm just trusting that God has my best interest at heart. I have my four kids here this morning, and I, I try to speak to their hearts every day. I want them to believe their dad. When dad says don't do something, I'm not trying to make life horrible for them. I'm trying to make life what? Great for them. So this changes the way we view God's sovereignty. It changes the way we view the gospel because it's not about being better. It's about having the abundant life. And here's why this increases our boldness. Here's why. Because if I'm going around telling everybody this, guys, if you will just hang on and if you will grind out the next 60 years of your life, it's going to be horrible. You won't have any fun. You can't do anything fun. All the fun stuff, that's off it. But just grind it out, just grit your teeth and bear it. And in 60 years when you die, you get to go to heaven. Is that awesome or what? I mean, that is good news. It'd be good news to me if I had 60 more years. Yeah. He's on the downhill slide. He, he won't be here much longer. When I turned 60, he said, Dad... You're 60 years old. You don't have long to live. He's the most encouraging man I know. I want to keep him sober-minded. The Bible talks about sober judgment, right? So I was just trying to ground him down. But instead of telling somebody that, what if I could tell you this? That Let me tell you something. The only way, and I believe this, to find fulfillment is in the pursuit of God. And what if I really understood what that meant? What if, I, what, what if I could tell someone, look, what, everything that, you're, that you believe will fulfill you is robbing you of joy. Everything. Then I can go into that position who I'm intimidated by because I'm a 23-year-old guy with a business degree acting like I know something about psychotropic medications when I don't. <laughs> and I'm trying to impress this guy. Now I can look at him and I can say, man, even you. At the top of your game, I don't care, you can put anybody there. You are fallen and in desperate need of the gospel. Not, not just for eternal life, but the kingdom of God. What, what did Jesus say it was? It's here. What did he say about the kingdom? Whenever he was in John chapter 3 and 4, when he sees a woman at the well, what did he say? It's, 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 it's almost here. It's near. This is not something we're waiting to get to heaven for. The kingdom of God is now. And this is transformational boldness because here's what it allows you to do. It allows you to offer somebody something today. Right now. How would that change the way you share your faith? That's an open question. How about you? How what? How about you? You said there are people that can do it better than you. Yeah. I, I didn't know. So how, would it, how would it change the way you share your faith if you didn't have to tell someone they had to be better. But rather, they just had to trust. And believe the truth. I, I, feel, like, I feel like it can be like convincing if I'm like, honest and like, true, and I feel like they'll be like, okay, if she believes in it, then maybe I can too. But I just feel like the way that I uh, 
did you ever believe a lie? Yeah, did you, what, what I mean by that is, did you ever, but don't confess your sins here unless you want to. <laughs> we'll turn the recorder off for you. Okay? Girl in seat four. Uh, did you ever embrace anything in your life before you came to Christ or since that you thought would bring you fulfillment, but it wound up being extremely disappointing? Okay. So did, did Christ redeem you from that? Did he bring you out of that and then lead you into truth? Okay, so when you tell your story of how, because that's a scripture I did have written down. It's Revelation uh, 12, I think it is. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So when you give your testimony, when you tell how God has taken you from embracing falsehood, which was disappointing, and it was more than that. What's a word that means worse than disappointing? Uh, Huh? Devastating. Devastating. It, you know, it just, it just destroyed you. It devastated you. You embrace something you thought would bring you fulfillment. It wound up devastating you. I know people, and you do too, right now, a friend of mine in Gainesville is bringing a friend to West Monroe to enter treatment. One of the most awesome girls. I met her about seven or eight years ago when I was down there doing a wedding. This girl's beautiful. Just it was. But she's been doing drugs for so long now that her life is virtually destroyed. She's lost her son, lost her marriage, lost her license for her, her professional license. Everything in her life has been taken away from her because she embraced a lie that crack cocaine would be good for her. She, it would bring her fulfillment. So when you tell your story, it's not about you. It's not about trickery. It's not about, you know, cute little presentations, but you're telling how God has worked this wonderful miracle in your life. That's something you can be bold about. Hey, if they don't accept it, so what? And you don't have to, you don't have to be a theologian to do that. No. Um, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to say this before you go do anything else. Think about what fake boldness looks like. What is, what is false boldness? If your boldness is, if it rests on your ability and power or your intellectual understanding, if that's what boldness, and you're sitting there going, God, give me boldness, make me bold, make me bold, make me bold. What does that look like when you start trying to put that kind of boldness into practice? What? Prideful? Arrogant? Cocky? Um, how many times did you guys go out to share the gospel with people back in the day, which I did when I was in the school of preaching at Wise Ferry Road, we'd have door knocking campaigns and everybody would come back, all the students from the school of preaching would come back. We'd sit there in that, in that chapel and, and Bob Dankinson or somebody else would say, okay, how'd it go today, guys? And somebody would say, oh, I ran into this old lady out here. She's about 85 years old and her mama was a Baptist and died a Baptist and I, I told her her grandmother, her mama was in hell and she cried and they were feeling, they were bragging about it. I just, I mean, I ate her lunch. They're bragging about how they made people just grovel in the dust and feel horrible. You get that? That's prideful and arrogant boldness. It's not godly boldness. But go ahead. We want to read this passage here in the first few verses here, but. Go ahead and say what you were going to say. Yeah, I was just going to say the number one fear, if you think about it in our culture, postmodern America, where truth is relative, and you have your truth, and I have mine, and what's the cardinal sin? Don't, don't offend. Don't judge. Don't judge me, right? Do not judge me. This is America that we live in, right? So we're trying to navigate in a university setting where all of our, all your professors are propagating this idea of this relativistic culture where there is no ultimate truth. Truth is in the eye of the beholder, right? Perception is reality. No. You know what's reality? Reality. Reality. <laughs> I've perceived things that aren't true before. So what it allows us to do when we come at people with this do better message it really plays right into the, to the culture. Oh, you're judging me. Right? But I'm not judging you when I'm just instructing you about reality. I'm just telling you this is where fulfillment's at. I'm not judging you. And me. you're not going to escape the accusation. You want to escape the label. But, but I do think we have to try to navigate through that. And I think that we are in times where 
our message needs to be very well um, crafted and in prayer. And I think that's what the apostles were praying for here was for God to come in and give them a message that was his boldness, not their boldness. So their boldness is humanistic. Their boldness is what? Manipulative. It's what we do. Trickery. Power. Arrogance. And then maybe, and if you're really good at it, you're not going to be overtly arrogant. It's going to be a passive-aggressive arrogance, right? Brene Brown, does anyone know who that is? She did a TED Talk. Anyone seen it on vulnerability? Uh, I mean... I don't even know if she's a believer, but I thought how much truth is in this 14, 15 minute clip of her saying that the key to human flourishment is vulnerability. It doesn't matter if you can't do it better than somebody else. I promise you this. That's right. If you're vulnerable with people, see, you think, well, vulnerable, that's not boldness. Boldness is like, like, a, like I'm thinking like a 300, like the uh, movie 300, right? Uh, those guys are bold. Wasn't that rated R? Yeah, I didn't see it. Somebody else told me about it. <laughs> That's what you think about boldness, right? Or you think about, what's, what's a bold animal you think about? Chihuahuas. A, who said a honey badger? You think a honey badger's bold? Oh, they're bold. Are they? Yeah, they're vicious. What's the boldest animal in the jungle? I usually think a lion. A lion? Right? Let me read you something. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. I think this is the prayer that we pray. It has to be in this understanding of the gospel. So Revelation, what time are we in here? Uh, about five minutes. Okay. So we need 12 o'clock to go to the okay. other class. Revelation chapter 5. Now remember, uh, the first thing that somebody pointed out in this passage in Acts chapter 4 about their understanding of their prayer was that God was what? Anyone remember the word? Sovereign? Yeah, God's sovereignty. So let's think about God's sovereignty for a moment. Let's, let's, which is this high view of God, this powerful view of God. So you have John here who is... It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break, and break its seals? Listen to this. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look in it. And so John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, and I love this, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and the seven seals. Now you want to talk about boldness. To think of that scene where John is just distraught. He's like, man, we're done. There's nobody worthy. And he's just weeping and weeping and weeping until one of the elders comes and tells him, no, 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 no. I want you to behold the sovereign king, the lion. And when you think of that lion, do you get a picture in your mind of that? How many people saw Aslan from Narnia? You know, the, the picture, of, and if I had a slide, I'd show it with this big, broad chest poking out and the, almost a halo around him. It's like the picture of power, right? You don't mess with lions, do you? I'm not trifling with a lion. I'm not going up there and abusing and slapping him around and saying, hey, I'll be back in a little bit. Hold that for me. I don't do that. You know why? Because what will a lion do? Yeah, he'll, he'll hurt you. Yeah, he'll eat you, right? Unless you're a Detroit lion. Unless you're a Detroit lion, then, yeah, then you don't do anything. <laughs> Listen to this, though. As awesome and as bold and as powerful and as uh, mighty as that scene is, if that's where we stop, we're not understanding godly boldness. Because read the very next verse. Verse 6. And between the throne and and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw what? 
a lamb as though it had been slain. Now you think about this. He says, Behold the lion from the tribe of Judah. Behold, boldness beyond your comprehension. John says, Oh, really? He turns around and sees the complete opposite of what he was probably thinking. What does he see? Vulnerable. <coughs> to the point where a lamb. And not just a lamb, a lamb looking as though he had been slain. And you say, well, how would that change my boldness if I pray for that kind of boldness? Here's how it changes. Because it's not about bravado. It's not about the big chest poking out. It's not about, it's not about conquering. It's about suffering. We don't have, we have a suffering Savior who conquers through the suffering. This is where the boldness is. It's vulnerability. It's laying yourself out. It's displaying humility. It's being approachable. It's being there. It's not about who's got the best personality. Or the best story. Or the best story. All right. It's about who can be real, and who can be honest, and who can lay themselves out, just like our sovereign king did. I want to read uh, the first few verses that prompted this prayer that the disciples had. And you'll notice, and listen to me, if you're a Christian today and you struggle with boldness, or if you're not even yet a believer, it, one of, there are two events in history, at least, that if they're true, if they, in other words, if they really happened, it changes everything. One is the creation, which wasn't, I don't know if you could say that was in history. It was, anyway, that's whatever. But, did God literally create the heavens and the earth? Did he speak everything into existence, including me in his image, and he breathed the breath of life into my lungs. Did that, is that really literally true? And the other is what? The resurrection. Okay? Did those two events actually occur? If they didn't, Paul said, what? We're to be pitied more than all men because we believe something that's just totally fallacious. It's a, lot, it's a lie. We're fools. But if it did happen, and I will suggest to you that Peter and John were witnesses of the crucifixion of Christ. They were so afraid in, at the, in the beginning that John ran and Peter stuck around for a little while and then cursed and said, I don't even know the guy. And something happened in the next 40 days that transformed Peter and John from timid, bashful followers of Christ into these guys right here. Listen to their message. You want boldness? You want boldness? Go, don't try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and achieve humanistic boldness. Go back and ask God to reveal to you whether his creation story is true and whether the re resurrection is true. If Jesus is raised from the dead and literally sits at the right hand of the Father, then he's literally coming back one day to take us home to live with him forever. So listen, the priest, these are powerful people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the apostles were teaching the people Proclaiming in Jesus, what does it say? Got your Bible? Acts chapter 4? What does it say? Proclaiming in Jesus, what? What? Acts chapter 4? Verse uh, 2? The resurrection of the dead. Why would that make them mad? They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Why were they able to be bold if they come grab me and try to put the handcuffs on me and drag me down to the parish, Washtenaw Parish Jail? I'm going to say, whoa, boys, let's work something out here now. Don't, get, don't overreact, you know? Why were they willing to go? Because they were convinced of what? The resurrection. It was true. It was literal. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed, just the men who believed, grew to about 5,000. Many more men and many more women in addition to that. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. The high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had John, so all the power brokers were in Jerusalem. They had Peter and John brought before them, I'm sure in a very pompous way, thinking they could intimidate them, and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Legitimate question. But you would think they healed a man. They healed this man in, John, in Acts chapter 3. You would think that would be evidence enough, right? But they wanted to know by what authority they did this. So Peter, 
This boldness came from where? It tells you right here. Peter what? What? Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, listen, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they backed off. These powerful theologians and religious power brokers, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, which was not arrogance, they took note that they had been with Jesus. They said, okay, something different. They were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man that was healed, there was nothing they could do. Look at the message, guys. You want boldness? There's only one way to have boldness. is to be certain that God created the heavens and the earth. And this death and resurrection story of Jesus literally occurred in history and in time. And for a God like that, if that happened, then hey, dying for him, what's the big deal? Getting thrown in jail, what's the big deal? Giving up drugs, sex, everything else. God leads me into truth. And I realize, I recognize all that stuff out there, as Zach said, I recognize it as being faith. And it's something that, that is just a lie. I promise to give me fulfillment and make my life meaningful. But I recognize it for what it is. It will destroy me. It will make me miserable. So... Any last comments on this? Anybody else? Be bold. Speak up. I'm pretty shy by nature. Don't you think? No. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, Father God, we just come to you in prayer. Um, we thank you, Father, for just giving us mercy and grace. Right. We are We are depraved people, Lord. We are a rebellious people. And we are... Uh, corrupted people, Father, and we continue to struggle with this thing called sin, God, because we just won't believe that you're telling us the truth, God. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you will continue to speak truth into our life and that we will be able to see it, God, and that through that and through that acknowledgement that you are the King of Kings because you raised your Son, Jesus, from the dead, Father, that we can begin to live a life of boldness. Amen. God, as we go out and we share our faith with people, God, help us to be a light to the world, God. Help us to have boldness, not in our own efforts, God, but, Father, in you. That's in right. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.